You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast. For more on Screening in Kingston, more episodes, info about our movie clubs, and a lot more fun movie content, visit screeninginkingston.com. That's right, fans. You demanded it. So Tyler Vance is back to talk Star Trek. Here we go. I am nothing but not, if not a abiding of the, the people's wants. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Some of our fans, hey, I, like you mentioned uh, when when those fan comments came in, uh, at least we know people like him. Yeah. When we talk yeah. Star Trek. No, <laughs> it, it makes me it makes me feel a lot better. Usually I find I'm just kind of like screaming into the void, but it's nice to know that the void answers back sometimes. Yeah, and it is interesting to to see, you know, response and to see how, even on social media the how many people seem to interact yeah. when um when we're doing like certain shows and certain topics. So it's nice that Star Trek kind of fits a bill a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It 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 uh it provides much needed I don't want to say levity, but like maybe escape from the uh the, the horror show going outside our windows at any given moment yeah yeah um so you came up with this concept so i think it's only right that you introduce it so why don't you tell our fans what what we're doing with star trek today yeah so the great thing about star trek is it existed for so many years at this point and i feel like even though you and i both love star trek you know our perceptions are different so Perhaps the Star Trek I love isn't necessarily the exact same Star Trek that you love. It feels different between the two, and we focus on different parts. Um, and what that really opens up a whole new world of really, really unpopular opinions that you can have. Where in your head, this is clearly the what's like the thing. This is clearly what's good. This is clearly what's bad. And um, the vast majority of the rest of the world and the Star Trek community will disagree. So what we're going to be doing is talking about our three unpopular opinions that we have about star trek that we feel the rest of the world would just really disagree with yeah and i thought that was kind of a fun exercise um to think about it and like we always do with our star trek lists i had way more than three and i had to whittle it um and i was taking it very seriously and i know we've talked about this before that if anyone ever saw us doing this you know pacing up and down they would be like well, it doesn't really matter. Just pick one. But it does matter. <laughs> it matters to me. <laughs> it matters. <laughs> I um, have placed value on this thing and I shall not be taking it yes, off. <laughs> and I shall. I will not. Play. Yeah, this is the value I've placed. So I, yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to come come down. So I, I honestly, coming into recording today, I had, I still had four on my list. And finally, <laughs> I whittled it down to three and just made the decision. Oh, and so what I, what I was excited about is you told me that you also have a list of things that you think I will have unpopular opinions about, things that I will think that other people... Was that true? Yes, I have a, I have a short list um, of unpopular opinions that I was trying to guess what, <laughs> what you would say um, about Star Trek. Like, that was the things I'm like, okay, from what I know, what are some unpopular Star Trek opinions that you might have? So I do have a list and I'm kind of interesting. I'm kind of interested to see what you'll, if any of what you're going to say today is on this list, because the fun thing is you and I have no idea what's on our list today. No, no, we don't I, know I have what no we're idea. talking about. 
<laughs> which is a lot of fun. We could guess, but I really want to see. I've got about seven. What do I have? Seven here? Yeah, I've got seven on my list. And I want to see. Um, I want to see what you, if any of them match what, yeah. what I think you're going to bring up today. Well, and regardless, I want to hear them at the end because it might be possible oh, that, you, sure, you, sure. that you will give me them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I do think that. <laughs> oh, obviously. Well, obviously, I'll read that too. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> we're, we're, we're talking Star Trek for anywhere between 55 minutes to an hour and a half, depending upon how we go. That is that is our usual MO, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we will definitely have time for that. I'm I'm very excited to to get into this because it, it, I just want to see if we agree, if we disagree, what what we consider an unpopular mm-hmm. op- opinion. Yeah. Um I'm very I'm very curious. So I think we've got to just dive into this. Uh do you want to kick things off? I mean, this is this was your thing. Like do you do you want to give us your your number one, your first or Sure. You don't have to number that, but the first one. Yeah, I will. I will give you the first one, and the first one shouldn't be a surprise to everyone because this is the unpopular opinion that really brought about this idea. This is the thing that kind of um, that started the old internal it's like wheels turning, um, and it's the fact that I now think that lower decks is good actually, um, and is not only do I think it's good, I think it actually might be the best Star Trek that's come out since Enterprise. Um, it's like, granted, I still haven't seen uh, Strange New World, so so don't don't at me. It's like a uh, Christopher Pike stands, um, but yeah, I yeah people love Pike. Oh, they and just his hair. They, I am <laughs> I am um, I'm constantly amazed by how is it, how far people will go to love Star Trek just because it has Spock in it. Um, the the amount of stuff I heard about Discovery when Spock was in it, and they're like, oh, but Spock's in it. I'm like. You know, Spock was also in Star Trek Five. Like, you know, his presence does not <laughs> yes. does not guarantee quality. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I forgot about Star Trek Five. Oh, like you see, that yeah. would be an unpopular I don't, opinion. I don't watch it. Good. I don't watch it in the rewatch. Yeah, I don't watch Five in a rewatch. I skip right over Five. Um, yeah. <laughs> go yeah, right fair. to Six. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I own the DVD okay. and it's pristine. It is. It has. It's barely it's, been washed. It's, so, it's clean. Never been. Never been opened. Yeah. Um, lower. Ah. Listen, I, I I did try to watch some other episodes. Yep. I just I couldn't do it. I just I don't know if it's the humor or that style. Like I'm not a Rick and Morty fan, mm-hmm. and I don't yep. really like this like fast talking, quick thing like little tiny dumb joke and then move on like i just don't yeah i don't really respond to it mm-hmm. um i hear you i didn't okay listen there was one episode okay yeah. where tom paris come <laughs> comes to the ship and yep. the one guy has a cl- uh, has a, a plate a commemorative <laughs> plate of tom paris so that was funny like yeah. that's to me that's my kind of humor star trek in the future they still have cl- like commemorative plates. They still, have plates. <laughs> commemorative plates. they still have plates, and Tom Paris is on the plate. That's funny, and him yep. wanting to to get Tom Paris to, like sign the plate, like that. That to me is humor, and I don't know if there is more of those things in it, mm-hmm. but I find that more funny than oh, the Titan showed up, and here's Jonathan Frakes voicing Riker, and he just sort of yells and screams and says one joke and leaves. Like that. That doesn't hit home with me it's situational comedy i like and that was that episode i remember actually laughing out loud more than more than once yeah yeah i would say that like 
So I, I definitely hear your your complaints about Ziggy about lower decks because I had them too when I first started. Um, I, I was kind of like, yeah, it's it's Rick and Morty with a paint of Star Trek over top of it, and that's not really mm-hmm. what I'm in the mood for because those two things in my head are completely like, like I like them both, but they're complete opposites. Like Rick and Morty is nihilism right. to the extreme, and Star Trek is all about optimism and hope. And I was like, these two things should not be mixing. And uh, at the beginning, I was having a really hard time dealing with lower decks because of the fact that like the characters were so like just mean they were mean to each other they were it's like they weren't necessarily it's like a like good people um but then as it go, went through something i really liked about lower decks eventually as i started to learn about the characters and kind of got an idea with it is that these people aren't nihilist nihilists like in brick and morty they love what they do they love their job it's like there's one there's like a, the one of the people named attendee who's like a um like a medical officer she's like absolutely in love with like all things biology rutherford who's the engineering mm-hmm. guy is like just obsessed with the warp core um and even yeah. like the lead character mariner who's supposed to be more of the kind of like rough and tumble rogue she still does this because she absolutely loves the adventure and she loves going into space and she loves doing all these things these people are motivated by their love of the actual acts that they're doing and they're not motivated by rank, which is something that's kind of like different than most other Star Trek. Even other Star Treks like the, the Next Generation, which is one that I really love and I love all of its philosophies in it. Like effectively, rank and career progression are inextricably tied to how these people view their worth. And it's like um, there's a whole sec- section where Captain Picard at one point goes back in time and like stops himself from making some mistake. And then therefore, when he comes back to the future, he actually realizes that he is now like he mm-hmm. doesn't take risks anymore. And he is now kind of like a middling officer. And instead of like, and like that's just like the worst thing possible. And, like, and, like, and, um, and I just like the idea that this is a mo- this is a show for the other portions of the world that aren't so focused on the idea of like, I need to like progress in the rank in order to be able to enjoy the things that I love. Instead, they mm-hmm. still have these wonderful, sincere moments of loving the things that make Star Trek great just from the lower decks. And uh, so that was yeah. the kind of overarching thing that I started to pick up on as I watched the show that got me into it um, in a much more substantial way than I would have had before. I mean, I can see some of that and and maybe I just need to bounce around more and watch some some different episodes because if there are more like this the tom paris one <laughs> than the the first couple episodes because i think i watched episodes like one through six or seven or something of season mm. one and really didn't get a good opinion and then when i started to bounce around this was one of the ones that i chose and it, yeah. it was decent so if it's more like that then i guess yeah. i could i could do that i i guess i just felt they were they were desperate for the joke Mm-hmm. In the first couple episodes, being like, Definitely. "We got to yeah. laugh. We got to get the. We got to get the joke. We got to be funny." And I just felt Star Trek is about. There's humor within Star Trek, but Star Trek is about exploration and the mm-hmm. journey and learning things and bettering oneself um, and challenging the things that we believe and think. And I, I wasn't seeing any of that. Mm-hmm. So even to call it Star Trek, I went, "Well, the best Star Trek so far has been seasons." two and three of the Orville. Like that's the best Star Trek. We've <laughs> that's had the best new Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah <okay>. frankly. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I, frankly I, it is like I've watched the Orville all the way through so far and season one's kind of rough, but two and three is, is Star Trek period. It's yeah. just Star Trek. That's what it is. 
Yeah, but I think it's interesting that that movie, though, I mean, it's not a movie, sorry, that show, The Oracle, is made by Seth MacFarlane, whose type of humor <laughs> is something that falls more in line with kind of like the Rick and Mortys and like early Lower is Decks. Is that funny, though? It's, like, he should, if, if you had said, Seth MacFarlane has a Star Trek show, here's The Orville and here's Lower Decks, you'd guess Lower Decks. Oh, definitely. It's an animated, like, raunchy right. show with yeah. it, where they do all these sort of things. But so I have a I here it's like in front of me a, a, a list of five episodes that I thought okay. would would maybe as like um I could give to the world for all of you out there who don't feel like Lower Decks is really for you who feel like you've been um, left behind by Gen Z like comedy taking over the thing you love the most. These five okay, episodes. I got are... my pe- I, I I got my pen and paper here because I'm going to write them down. <laughs> well, so these, <laughs> these I'm going to watch these. <laughs> these five episodes kind of have the three things that I think Lower Decks has going for it. One is the theme I was talking okay. about about like loving the journey, yeah. not the rank. About gets like the people even at the bottom of the ship are still able to be Star Trek in a way that um it, they don't have to be the captains. Um, the second is kind of what you're talking about about the Tom Paris commemorative like plate really funny kind of strange situational comedy that relies on your understanding of Star Trek in a way in order to be able to enjoy it and the yeah. very last thing is like is actually um, interesting characters I think that the characters themselves do have like arcs they do kind of grow on you and they're as like and their camaraderie is um is palpable i do feel it as i go through um and it kind of starts to tap into that thing about the actual like uh, episode below decks like where or lower decks wait um in tng the idea of like getting to see the lives of these people who are really making a family on like on this ship i think and the same time still being funny so these are the five okay. episodes that i think is like people should watch um one of them is uh, season one, episode eight, called Veritas. Um, it's a courtroom drama where the like uh, the like lower decks people are being put, uh, being called forward, what they think is being for witnesses in a court against their higher officers, um, and they're basically trying to figure out what happened during this covert mission, but none of them have any idea what's going on because they're lower decks. <laughs> okay. and it's like and it's, lower decks, yeah. <laughs> And so that was fun. Um, and it's it's very much like uh, riffing off of like the undiscovered country Klingon court. Um, it's like that's okay. it in that one. Um, then when season one, episode nine, which is Crisis Point, um, which is just like one big spoof of all the Star, uh, Star Trek movies that have ever existed. They start putting, okay. um, they have a whole sequence in the hall. It's like where they're like approaching the ship, the Cerritos, and like it just takes forever. And one of the characters starts crying because it's so beautiful. And it's just like really like, like, <laughs> like, like just kind of turning into that ridiculousness that you have in every Star Trek for the, uh, the reverence for the enterprise. Um, then we have season uh, two, episode four called uh, Mugatu Gumatu, um, which is about these Ferengi that have taken over a bunch of uh, Mugato or uh, Mugato. It's like um, these aliens from like the original series. Um, it's 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 a funny twist at the end. That I'm not gonna is like um, showcase. It's like I'm not gonna give away, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Season two, episode uh, five, called "An Embarrassment of Duplers," which probably has one of my favorite concepts about an alien that duplicates when he's embarrassed. And so he's like an ambassador and everyone in the ship is desperately trying not to create an embarrassing situation for him. Otherwise he'll start duplicating and won't be able to stop. Um, And then episode two, uh, episode six of season two, which is called the spy humongous, um, which is all about the lower deck people like having to go around to all the officer as like uh, the offices of the upper echelon 
and clean out all the random anomalies that they picked up all the like the weird trinkets (laughs) and like strange things from their adventures and um it's their most hated job because invariably it ends up going wrong and like mutating them in weird ways and (laughs) it's so it's a it's a those are i'd say the five episodes that i would think if you watch all five of those episodes and at the end of it you come out and say yes there's still no value in this show then probably the show is just not mm-hmm. for you and you can just move on right yeah it's funny how you start naming episodes right after i stop watching it's, it is pretty funny like, that I, when like, you were saying the first one's episode eight and i'm like seven i got seven. <laughs> it was funny <laughs> when you said seven. that when you said, i watched the first six and i'm like looking at my episodes as one of them nope it's not i'm clear i'm good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I only watched like six episodes, and then suddenly you start like I stopped too early. You stopped but okay, too early. I I I pledged to watch those five episodes. Okay, and report back on how I feel about them. Cool. I am making that pledge. <laughs> um. Okay. So that anything else you want to say on lower decks? No, I think that um. I understand people's res- reservations. I haven't watched season three yet, which is coming out as I like, currently. So I don't know if, if everything I said is going to be negated by a really terrible season. Um, but at the very least, I can say that season two and the latter half of season one of Lower Decks, I think is very solid Star Trek. And um, something that I've kind of wanted for a while where Star Trek did something very different, but somehow still managed to capture some nugget of the thing that I like about it. And so I, I approve. <laughs> I mean, of of cl- the new Star Trek stuff, the bar is not high. So <laughs> <It's true. laughs> the fact that they were able to jump it is not super surprising. Um, okay, let's get into my first one. Uh, this is where the gloves come off here. <laughs> okay. um, my my first uh, unpopular Star Trek opinion mm-hmm. is that this Star Trek: The Next Generation's finale is not the best Star Trek finale. It's Voyager's finale. Endgame is the yeah. best Star Trek finale of all the TV shows. I can see why this would be an unpopular opinion. <laughs> so many people love, uh, obviously, the best... Uh, no, not the best of both worlds. Um, oh, wow, okay. Now, bad Star Trek fan. Can't remember the name of the TNG finale. I think it, I think um, it is called but, Best of Both Worlds, isn't it? No, that's the that's the Borg one. That's when he becomes the Borg. Oh yes, one. right. Um, right. All good things. All good, all good things. things. Yeah, that's the name of it. Yeah, all good things is the TNG finale. Most people consider that, but Voyager's uh, finale Endgame, I think, is the best Star Trek finale. So to to make my case for that, mm-hmm. what makes a good finale for a TV show? I think you have to pay homage to everything that came before. Mm-hmm. I think you have to show some sort of finishing of an arc. If you've set an arc up or set in motion where you can look back and say, for Star Trek, these seven seasons, these seven years, we went from this point to this point to this point. Um, And I think in some capacities where you ruin a finale is when you make things too final and too over and too finished. A lot of the criticism of Deep Space Nine's finale is that it's it's completely over. Yeah, like everyone's gone. There are some directors. They're removed. They're just gone. So um, Voyager, I think, did an excellent job of finishing the arc of this series. This was all about a ship trying to get home. And there was only two ways this was going to end. Voyager's either going to get home or it's going to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. And I think that they did a great job of setting up a premise where Voyager was faced with the same moral dilemma that stranded them in in the, the Delta Quadrant to begin with. And this time, they did the right thing again. They didn't change. They did the right thing again 
but we're rewarded by getting home as yeah. opposed to being stranded. Because what happened in, in the pilot of, of Voyager is that Catherine Janeway makes a decision to destroy her only way to get her crew home in order to protect a civilization that was essentially being enslaved by another civilization. So there you go. That That's what happens. They get stranded. Seven years later, she has an opportunity to get home through this Borg transwarp conduity thingy, or she can destroy it and cripple the Borg and, and stop a threat to the galaxy. And she chooses to try to destroy it, but they end up getting home uh, because of that. And obviously it's a little bit more complex than that. The reason why I think it's better than the Next Generation finale is the Next Generation finale did a good job of paying some homage to the, the series as a whole, but there's no finality in that episode. They knew they were doing movies. They didn't have to finish it off. There was nothing. There was no arc. There was no nothing. It was just like, well, we got we got a seven. We probably are going to do six movies. So, like, why do we have to finish anything? They were literally in production for Star Trek Generations at the same time as filming the finale. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, it's a brilliant episode of television. But that's all that is. That finale is just an episode of television. Voyager's finale is a finale where you could have done a movie to see what happens to them later, but they get home and they don't tell us too much what happens to the crew. Where does everybody go? Like what? That's not it. The last shot is Voyager arriving home at Earth. We don't need to know anything else. We don't need to see anything else. Anything more would ruin it a little bit. You've got to leave some mystery, something to the imagination so the story can continue, but also there's a finality to it. So that's why I think... It's the best finale in talking about what a finale of a TV show is. Okay. I understand your point. I see that. And I think that you're right that Voyager is like inherently, as a series, is inherently set up to have a much better finale than a show like TNG. Because Voyager has a goal. It has an end goal mm-hmm. that you're looking for. And so then when you're fi- coming to a finale, you're looking to see if that goal is coming to fruition. So I definitely get that. Um the next generation, I feel it's like its finale does have a little bit of an arc in the way that Q does come back. And it's a reference to the very first episode where he says about how the trial for humanity continues and how mm-hmm. we are seeing kind of how is like, strangely enough. It's like it's almost like the arc is actually watching how Q responds to humanity now after having watched the event of the series, um, as opposed to the beginning where he was basically putting them on trial with the intention of destroying them all. Now he's doing this thing actually strangely enough to help them um the, with the intention of saving them with yes, the intention of saving intention. them yes it's like and it's a uh, it's an interesting change for him as a character and it's the only reason why that change has happened is because he's been observing what we've seen because far the counter at far point is kind of set up as an idea of like not only is q going to be watching these people to see what humanity's got we are also as an audience member watching as like these people to see what humanity has done and where they're at um, and so then to see that kind of change is, is like is a, a version of finality. Now, granted, it can't be as intense as like the fulfillment of a quest um, because TNG isn't a quest like show. Um, the other pushback I would say is like like TNG's ending, like the actual ending, um, which is like I imagine we are spoiling spo- uh, spoiling here. Oh yeah, spoiling. Yeah, yes, it's yes. Like, yeah, it's, it's come on, show. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, if people care about like this. This show ended in nineteen ninety three. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so the ending of the show, like the very last scene, 
is that portion where Picard shows up to the poker table for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the reason why he's done this is because throughout the episode, he's been phasing in and out of time. And he's seen that how in the future, after they leave this place, this one moment where they're in a state where they can do things. Everyone's at the peak of their game. They all understand each other. They trust each other. After this, they are going to begin to fade apart. They're going to be able, as like fade away from each other. They're going to mm-hmm. end up getting in fights. They're going to end up like drifting apart. They're going to end up doing all these other things. And the like the ending of TNG, you're right, isn't a finale it's kind of a recognition that where they are right now is like the only time where they're going to be this functional of a, of a family of a group. And he comes back mm-hmm. to savor that moment is like in the, it was like with the poker thing. And like, I was watching this um, a little while ago. Um, I watched the finale, I, not for the first time, but for the first time in a very long time, having forgotten what a lot of it was about. And I was showing uh, my spouse through it's like all of TNG and we got to the end. I was just like, I actually like teared up because it was like, it's just a beautiful way to end this kind of show. How do you end an episodic show without being like uh, Deep Space Nine, where it's like, oh, and then they all like either died or went to some like higher plane or did all their different things. You end it in this kind of state. Or just left, straight up left. left, Or just straight up like (laughs) melted away into a giant pool of of weird uh, uh, shapeshifter beings. Um, But like, this is how you do it. You end it by basically saying where we are right now is like is finite and it's going to end. It's like so we got to cherish this is like in this exact moment. And when he t- says like I should have done this a long time ago, it's like you just think back to all the times that they've been playing this poker game over and over again, all the moments that he's missed mm-hmm. out on, and this finite aspect of it. So all of this to say. I think you're probably right in the way that Voyager's finale is better at being a finale to a um, to like a TV show like serial as a serialized story. Um, but I think TNG's finale was perfect for what that show was. Yeah, like I think I do. I do agree. I think TNG's finale and I, I as I said at the beginning, it's a it's a brilliant television show. Like mm-hmm. it's a brilliant episode of television. Yeah. Um, and I think them knowing that they had to bring this to an end without completely ending it because they had contracts for movie, movies coming up mm-hmm. was, you know, clearly a task and they did it. Um, and as we've talked about before, the finale is a better Star Trek movie than Generations is. Um, yeah. And it felt better and it felt, you know, more complete and more succinct. I just did feel that Voyager left me with, a feeling of it's over. TNG's finale did leave me. Now I was very, 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 very young. So I don't know if I remember properly watching the finale or if I watched the finale later, but Star Trek, the next generation never felt like something that ever ended. It felt Mm -hmm. like something that has, has progressed and continued and unfortunately is still continuing now. Um, but it has always felt like not a circle and not a loop, but just a continuation mm-hmm. where every episode, because of how episodic it is, and even into the movies, it feels like a journey I can always go to. Yeah. Voyager is an arc and a loop and a, and a, like there's a, there's a start line, there's a finish line and you can jump into that loop and go around and around and around. But once you jump into the loop of Voyager, you want to get to the end. You want to progress because there's an overarching storyline. Whereas the next generation, you can jump in and out all you want. Yep. You can jump in, watch a couple episodes, jump out, whatever, because it's not 
unending story. And I think that's more, have always been my point of, as a finale of a television show, Voyager nailed it. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek The Next Generation almost has to be a different category. Yeah. Because it didn't, like Enterprise and and uh, and uh, Deep Space Nine got a chance to end and their finales were not as strong. Whereas T- TNG did four movies after that and now has Picard <laughs> and it's never like really ended. Like it just has, is always continued. And yeah. that's kind of, I think, where I kind of come to that point. But I see what you're saying because I don't, I don't want to sit here and say that's not a brilliant piece of television and that Next Generation isn't the best Star Trek show because I really truly believe that. When thinking about what are my unpopular opinions, I rewatch and go back to that Voyager finale a lot. And yeah. I like it a lot more than, than the general public seems to. Yeah, well, it's definitely a very good way to end that series. Um, it's like, mm. And it's probably like it was that moment where Star Trek's budget was uh, like as a TV series was starting to allow it to do almost like very cinematic like uh kind of finales similar to how like deep space nine was the first one that was able to do like big space battles in a way totally. that was like cost effective yeah. um so they made it they, yeah. they took advantage of that in a way that i don't think tng quite would have had the the budget for necessarily to be able to do something like that no. nor would it have fit with the show's intentions and episodic structure no it would it wouldn't have fit with the show i don't think like that's the thing like tng is warm yeah tng always feels warm it's a warm bright comforting show and i don't think i think it i think it benefits from not being able to be too heavily cgi like yeah. i think it really does whereas voyager always felt like more of an epic <laughs> movie because yeah, even a lot of their two-parters a lot of their fin- like finales of seasons were also very epic like they always felt a little more epic to me um than, than that but th- there you go that's my first unpopular opinion tyler give us your number two unpopular Star Trek opinion. Well, at this point, I think because you brought up the idea of like TNG versus Voyager, where the one is a lot more like episodic in nature, while it's like Voyager is more kind of like an ongoing story. And yes, it's still episodic. It's like, but like there are Hmm. arcs. There are like, it's like you were like, if you were to watch like near the beginning versus the end, you'd be like, whoa, the Borg are here versus like what happened to those... It's like yeah. uh, those weird interdimensional beings that were phasing in and out. Like they have like their kind of like baddie of the yeah. couple seasons and then they fade through. Mm-hmm. Um, my unpopular Star Trek opinion is that I think Deep Space Nine is probably my least favorite of the old Star Trek. Like the Star Trek that oh, went up to that's Enterprise. fighting words. Yeah, that's I, fighting words right and, there. And I and I understand. <laughs> I understand where people are coming from. It should be noted. It's like that this is the one that I've like watched the least of as in like I did watch oh, okay. Okay. the first like two seasons and I watched the last season um, not in that order because I was watching on Spike TV back in the day when they were just showing these episodes mm-hmm. constantly. So I caught like mm-hmm. the last season and then went back and then they started over and I watched like two seasons and then I've intermittently watched other like big episodes that people say are really important. Mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. one has received like the least amount of attention for me. So like, so in that okay. way, maybe if people were to give me like a set of like instructions on how best to enjoy D space nine, I could undo the damage that my, that has been mm-hmm. done with my previous watchings. Um, I, I got to tell you one yeah. thing right off the bat. Yeah. I, I, the best way to watch deep space nine is From to start, start at season one, episode one <laughs> and go all the way through to the end of season seven. <laughs> yeah. And, and and the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. are very different 
than seasons three and four. Yeah. It's almost in two chunks. One and two, very similar. Yeah. Three and four, very similar. Mm -hmm. Five through seven, very similar. Yeah. And 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 five through seven is the Dominion War, It is very different. Yes, five through seven is mainly the Dominion War. Four four and five um, is Worf joining Deep Space Mm -hmm. Nine and a lot of things with Klingons. Some fantastic episodes. Like, honestly, you probably could begin your Deep Space Nine journey with season three, episode one, The Way of the Warrior. Because that, to me, is the first episode of Deep Space Nine that really, like, boom, laid like a, we're, we're going. We're, so it's, we're going it's almost this exactly like TNG in the way that you could start the first episode, season three, and actually probably skip a lot of heartache. Yeah, like the first, I, I will say the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine have some good episodes in them, just like, mm-hmm. the, just like you know, you would say TNG does as well. But yeah. I think if you know the general concept of what they're doing there, you could safely start with season three, episode one. And if you watched... Like just remembering what's kind of coming in the in the third season. I think if you watch a good chunk of season three, you'll want to watch season four, right. and that's when things really like really get going. Um, okay, with well, in terms of the Dominion, after, and what happens with them. maybe yeah. after I'm done Enterprise, maybe I'll swing back around to it. But in the moment, it's like uh, it's like in my it's like <laughs> having admitted to it's like to the world that I am not as informed as I should be in order to bring this unpopular mm. opinion to the it's like to the front. Let me try to share a few of the reasons why like I, okay. it, I it has never really kind of like drawn me in, even at what I've seen. It's like um, the first is that I think for me, honestly, the best Star Trek is episodic. Um, and I know that the the Dominion War is still episodic, similar to Voyager. Is like, but at the same time, mm. there is more of an overarching like narrative we are cruising towards a finale we are like and we're getting past the point where you can just kind of like like hop around from episode to episode and i think this is a big reason why i also tend like i've really had a hard time with star trek picard because for some reason modern day star trek feels the desperate need to make everything and on like a continuing story like like um <laughs> and the problem with that is that you don't have a chance to really take an episode just to explore this random thing or this cool idea. Like when each episode is its own little contained cavern that you can kind of like bounce around in and yell and like and find all the cool, interesting things in that cavern before you move on to the next one. You get a chance to explore and you get a chance for really interesting sci-fi premises and morality aspects. As opposed to when you make something more long form where each episode has to kind of fade into the ones that come after it you lose a little bit of that ability to play and um and i know that's not necessarily mm. like all of d space nine and i know that even the portions of d space nine that are like that still find ways to like fit in those kind of like morality mm-hmm. plays but at the same time it's yep. not it's not my favorite kind of star trek and so that was a, always a, a problem for me um Another problem okay. for me is like a personal as like aspect about it is like in terms of I don't tend to gravitate as like towards stories about faith nearly as much. And I know that a good chunk of like uh, Benjamin Sisko's like kind of like arc is about this role he's playing as a as like a Bajoran um, like prophet or like emissary. Um, and while I think that creates a lot of interesting character moments of trying to like balance those two hats and figure out exactly how he's going to go. I just found that those things were never much of a decision that I I felt like sh- like was really difficult to make. It always felt like to me like it was obvious what the decision should be made, and so I didn't really have mm-hmm. as much of like a an a, uh, investment in that kind of conundrum. Um, and then the last thing is that I just miss the exploration. I miss the fact that a lot of start is like when you're not sitting on a 
space station. You're able to go explore and find new things and new worlds, new civilizations. And um, just the inherent static nature of Deep Space Nine is like until it becomes more about like warfare and like going through the wormholes and whatnot. It still um, it just didn't really grab it, grab me as much. So those are the kind of things that have been holding me back from mm. embracing this mm. and trying giving another another shot. Um, but I'm willing to hear that all of that is um, a load of baloney and that I really need to move past it. All. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you make some good points because, yes, Deep Space Nine has a static feel to it. Mm-hmm. where it's a little bit more interpersonal than it is exploration. Like they do think people do come to them yep. and you do get, you do get some of that, especially with the gamma quadrant. Um, and they do have a ship and they do do some Star Trek things mm-hmm. where they go to places. Um, but I do think, I do think what the charm of that show was always the fact that this, the, it's a massive ensemble. There are way more characters than in any Star Trek show that are reoccurring, that you you have arcs on this station, you see different things from different walks of life. So you really see the Federation's values tested a lot more, where they have to play this game almost. Like they have to try to figure out like how do I how do I run this station when the person who is bringing in the entertainment for the people who live there is also a criminal. And I want my station to have an entertainment value and I want people to be living here again, but I have to keep this person under check. And I also have to, like, I have to respect the beliefs of the Bajorans without letting it over, un, like, override what I'm going to do. And yeah. Cisco's battle with it is more so on your side of it. He doesn't like it either. Yeah. <laughs> Like he he doesn't really embrace it that much. Like I'm, I'm sh- you said, you saw a lot of the the final season when yes. that's really the only time that he really really sort of dives it. Like it took it takes seven years mm-hmm. for him to even accept the fact that he has something to do with the wormhole aliens. But it takes seven years, yeah, <laughs> to get to that <laughs> point where most of the series he doesn't want anything to do with it whatsoever. Um, so I think you would actually appreciate that personally. Like Deep Space Nine has some of the most interesting characters and some really, really great episodes coming out of characters yeah. as opposed to Star Trek The Next Generation. It comes out of exploration and othering and finding other groups and seeing their problems and how we interact and deal with that. With Voyager, it's the circumstances. Like there's characters within circumstances and how that goes. Deep Space Nine, it's all character driven, right. which I think... That's why it's a lo- to me it's a longer haul. Like if yeah. you commit to watching it and you get, I bet you you'll get hooked because you're gonna love the characters so much. Okay, I'm willing to I'm willing to like, go into it again and figure this out because definitely like the characters, some of them are like quite interesting and very different than what you see in Star Trek. Like the idea of the trill is always like a very interesting idea. Oh yes, and so Judzia and when it ends up happening to her, like all of that sort of stuff, and like the difficulty the characters have in dealing with that is like um is quite interesting to me um it's like o'brien is just great i loved him in tng it's like i love it's like I <laughs> yes love the o'brien's idea that great yeah i love putting him more front and center and i'm like i enjoy that definitely um something that as benjamin cisco is another example of a character that i just don't think i've given like the due process for to actually kind of enjoy because like most of what i can remember about him is him being mean to picard about uh, the cutest like uh, was like a little thing. Listen, at the beginning. <laughs> yes. So that the fact that the first impression we get of Deep Space Nine is this dirty, 
rotten, broken down station. The Enterprise is there. The captain we're supposed to be handing off to is mad at Picard. Um, His son doesn't have a bed to sleep on. Um, And then, and then the Enterprise leaves and you're like, you're like the kid being dropped off at school for the first time. Yep. And your parents are leaving. That's what it was like watching them leave. You're like, don't go. Don't go. Jake Sisko doesn't have a bed. Like, <laughs> don't leave. And and they just leave. And you're like, I don't like this. Sisko's mad at Picard, and Jake's sleeping on the floor, and like it. it but I almost immediately within the series, I think they do a very good job of you warming up to Cisco. Okay. Like I, I really do think, unlike what they've done with, <laughs> with uh, uh, Archer from Enterprise, he doesn't stay angry the whole time. Okay, and he good. he has a couple moments. Again, season one and two gets a little rough, but by season three, you're respecting this captain, and the way he handles the Bajorans is fantastic. Like his 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 dipl- diplomacy, though you see a lot of why they would assign this guy. To, to, to this place because he's so much more diplomatic than that pilot shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see your point, but I do think if you, I would really highly recommend, you know, maybe brushing up on kind of what goes on in season one and two, but start at season three, get into season four with Worf arriving in the Klingon stuff and, and see how season three and four sits with you. And if you like it after that, then, you know, you're probably going to want to stick it out. Well, it looks like we both have our homework ahead of us. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to go into my my next one. I'm going to jump to the um, to the movies for a second, Ooh. and then my final one comes back to the show. So I'm going to jump to the movies. Um, my unpopular Star Trek opinion: Star Trek Insurrection is a great Star Trek movie. What? <laughs> <laughs> now, hear me out. Great? I just recently rewatched Star Trek Insurrection. It's a great, great Star Trek movie. Star Trek Insurrection, um, I just did a rewatch of it. Um, I think for, for Next Generation, I think this is the Star Trek Beyond of this, of this series. It is the most connected to the TV show of the movies because it gives us a TV show premise. It's Picard versus the, the Federation, and everything coming into play of do we protect a civilization that can't defend themselves or do we follow orders? And that is the crux of the movie, which I absolutely love. I love the fact on the rewatch that they go to this place that kind of almost de-ages them in a way, not not physically, but the, the way their sort of mind is processed, the way they feel, because it gives us that flavor. They're not just these old people who just keep aging in these movies and keep getting older and older. And we're like, I just want you to be this person I knew 10 years ago. They have like elements that come they play with their age. They play with that idea that like, Oh, I'm older. I'm starting to feel younger again. What does this mean? You know, how do I kind of deal with this? I love that aspect of it. I think Star Trek insurrection gets absolutely like a, a terrible, terrible reputation, even though it's actually a great Star Trek movie because it's a great premise as to do we protect the civilization or do we follow orders? What are we going to do to kind of help them once we figure out the situation? They give us an evil admiral, which is a great throwback to the original series. We haven't had one of those in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, a new species that's kind of weird and whatever, but they're they're still 
they're still interesting um, in, in their own ways. And the crew all gets fun moments and gets, it feels both like a, a, a movie of exploring a new place and exploring oneself and the feelings that come with it mixed in with some action and a goal that's a little bit more reasonable um, as to, to what they need to accomplish. So th- those are my thoughts. Star Trek Insurrection on a rewatch. Fantastic movie. Okay. I have, I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Um, <laughs> so yeah, where, where would you like to begin? Okay. So maybe I'll start with the, the positive things because it's like, you know, I don't truly hate any Star Trek movie, even the final frontier, which is like, just it, it's not good in any way. I still find ways to enjoy it. And mostly it's in character moments. I, I still like can sit there for these moments and forget about the, the ridiculous plot and forget about the physics that doesn't make any sense and forget about all this stuff and just focus on like oh look at my the characters that i like are interacting with each other that's fun and i feel like insurrection has a lot of good (laughs) things like that it has these really fun character moments um and as you're saying they are playing with the idea that we're seeing younger versions of themselves in terms of like their attitudes we see like more of riker's Mm -hmm. kind of like playful side that he had when he was younger we see him shave for the, the first the first and last time that i think anyone saw jonathan frakes's face underneath the underneath the beard um we get to see like yeah and one... i think oh like, sorry go for it right sorry yeah i just riker i just want to while you're talking about characters I, like for riker we also it plays into the plot because yeah. it's not just, uh, okay, they've got the fun moment of shaving the beard. Just like with Worf, you have the fun moment of like, oh, he has a uh, he has a pimple. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also played into the plot because if, if Worf didn't get those aggressive tendencies, if Riker didn't get that kind of cavalier cowboy attitude, the space battle would have gone differently. Yeah. Or the bat, like they, they're using it of, of like this, th- this character... And this moment and this attitude makes them make decisions that was necessary, planned out and purposeful to complete the mission. So that that's interesting. Like as to me, that's a good uh, a writer sitting down and be like, oh, this won't just be funny. We also can use this later because Riker's attitude and the things he pulled off, and even like during the battle, Jordy anticipating what Riker wants and adjusts the core without I just did like that's a moment of like and he smiles because it's like you could get court-martialed for that but that's Jordy also being acting like a 20 year old again being like I have no choice I'm dumping the core yeah like doesn't matter what you say we got to save the ship we got to you know stop this whatever like that's a great moment and there's those little moments that are like I think it's more brilliant writing than they're given credit for anyway continue yeah, as I will, I will concede on those things. Um, here's my major, Good. my major concession. Problem. Moving like, for, uh, moving on. Concessions, <laughs> but not it's like, but not entirety. It's like, um, all right, all right, all right. So, I I agree with you that the beginning of the movie feels like the beginning of an actual like TNG episode, um, and it definitely in the way that like you start in with this thing, and yeah, it's like oh, there's this stuff going on about the Prime Directive. There's a mystery that we're needing Mm -hmm. to solve. There's an evil admiral, Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. I feel that while I've seen those kind of plots before in TNG, they've never been resolved in this way before. And I think that's really like the thing that I don't like about this movie is that it is, in my eyes, it is a betrayal of a like classic TNG premise where instead of us having like, 
diplomacy and is like and perhaps having to make like 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 moments of aggression or like or gestures we actually have full-on battle sequences we have as like where um people who yes they might be feeling young but they are not looking young are trying to like um behave in these like in like an action movie type like um scope and it looks it ends up looking goofy and it ends up feeling kind of um false for me it feels too hollywood um there is an episode near the end of TNG um, that I feel really does damage to this this movie in general because it has almost the exact same premise um, and it is with the um, indigenous peoples that they find on this one planet that they have to try and extract before the Romulans take over and kind of and kill them. Um, and Cardassians. Uh, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. Cardassians. Yeah. And the way that that is resolved is effectively like they through diplomacy and the recognition that they have to move like this has to happen um as opposed to how this one is resolved which is people who have in theory even less claim to this planet um who aren't it's like um basically it's like we're going to like fire on our own people we're going to shoot back at these people we're going to blow up as they shift we're going to do whatever it takes in order to keep these people here while in other episodes we that wasn't the case that wasn't exact that wasn't how they worked out and perhaps it is the fact that they're young and they're behaving differently well that's what i was gonna say picard picard was a 50 year old or 40 or whatever it's hard to tell his age it's hard to tell how old um it is he could be i don't know but like he's in his 40s or whatever following orders but you can see like even in that episode which i it's i it's one of i think the highlights of season seven it's a great episode is is that episode it's a great episode and and he's forced to move these indigenous peoples. There are like three scenes with him and Troy like discussing it. Yeah. And you can see he doesn't want to do this. No. He feels stuck. He's not sure what to do. He is so he's so like they're trying they're going to move these people without telling them that they're going to move. The exact same thing that's going on in insurrection. And thankfully it doesn't happen, but he hates this decision the whole time and is looking for anything, any reason to, to, to not have to do this through negotiating to whatever and negotiation happened in insurrection. There's no way to negotiate because the force is, is, has basically surrounded this planet because of the, the weird nebula they're in. They have no backup. They have no support. If the Cardassians attacked that, those indigenous people, the Federation would respond because there, it's an open space. If some, if they decided, if the the weird Sona people decide to attack this this group of people on this planet, there's no one. They have no backup. So the whole premise of the movie is they've got to get out of the the I think they call it the Briar Patch. Yeah, they've got to get out of here to send a message to the Federation Council to be like, this is wrong, and we want you to think about this because arbitrary decisions are being made as opposed to a decision being made through a council. So I know it's like a it's a nitpicky little nuanced thing, but I think that was Pic- the rationale behind Picard. The decision to move this group of individuals from a planet because of the Cardassian Treaty went through years or months of discussion through normal official channels. Everything going on with the Sona was not official. Hmm. And that's to me where, where the difference came from and he's 22 in his book <laughs> so he's a little more like whatever like i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna go against you because <laughs> yeah. remember how picard was as oh, a teenager yeah. and we, right? we will see was that not... in nemesis <laughs> yes well uh, are we talking nemesis today 
we will be. Um, okay, well then, if you want to talk about a movie that's too Hollywoody and feels contrived, like at least okay, listen, listen. I know we are not into Nemesis yet, but we need to talk about this because you're going to say Nemesis is good, right? Yeah, that's what you're yeah, going to say. That, that is going to be my last one. Yes, and so we might <laughs> okay. as well bring it into Spoiler. the conversation. We'll <laughs> bring, bring it, it bring into it the, into the conversation, conversation now. now. Yeah, yeah. That, okay, okay. That, so that nem- my... you're saying Nemesis. Okay. Go ahead, yeah, sorry. yeah. My my uh, my last thing is the, is the thought that Nemesis is good. Actually, um, it's like uh, and. It's good, actually. It's good, actually. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like, so okay. I understand that a lot of the things I'm bringing up can be thrown at Neme- Nemesis as well, because it is very still like we have to have action sequences. We have to have a nonsense yeah. place where they're like driving around this Jeep for no good reason, like all those for no things. reason. And yeah. and I feel I feel like in Star Trek First Contact, mm-hmm. it's the Borg. So it doesn't matter how old you are. You have to fight for your life. You have to it's fight like the Borg. Yeah, you, gotta you fight have to fight for, for your life. You know, that's that to me makes perfect sense. In insurrection, by de-aging their brain, it makes you look at the movie really differently. I think people just forget that point where it's like, well, Picard's running around as a 51 being an action star. Yeah, but he thinks he's younger. Yeah. And people forget that. So they are they are behaving and that gives you, to me, it gives me enough to be like, okay, willing suspension of disbelief. You're telling me this, whatever. What is their excuse in Nemesis to drive so- that car around? To be these like really old, but like I'm sorry, they just look so old and sad. They all do, of them. They do when they're talking really about the sad. naked wedding, I'm just so glad I didn't have to see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, like, so for me, for the insurrection aspect, like the fact that they are they're like de-aged in their mind actually kind of like removes a little bit of the intrigue for me because like a lot of the decisions they're making, you're right, probably are because they're being like impacted by, by their youth. But at the same time, the movie is treating it as the morally correct decision. Like every decision they make is considered like morally correct, as opposed to like what I would think is like. Well, I mean, except for Data. Well, yeah. Well, TNG. But Data's not. He's not making morally correct decisions. But but he got he got broken at the beginning. (laughs) He did, but I mean, what I meant was Data hasn't been you know de-aged, right? So he even brings that up. And where Data's like, you know, all of you might be doing this or whatever and they're like well data what do you want to do and he's like lock and load and it's like yeah, yeah. let's go <laughs> which is which is also a ridiculous thing for him to say that doesn't make any sense with his character of course <laughs> of course it does it's one of the most ridiculous lines that and him singing it well the singing at the wedding thing the, the, I the singing actually makes sense. i could see data i could see data from the series doing that thinking yeah. this is the right thing to do at a wedding is sing and everyone be like what is happening um but yeah, anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah. So I think the major differences between the two for me is I'm not going to stand here and say that Nemesis is better than First Contact because it's not. Like literally for me, like First Contact is the only TNG movie that I think is better than the, like that that is as good as like my favorites in the original series movies. I um, agree. And just so we're clear on the record, neither of us are saying that Star Trek First Contact is a is like not as good as these movies. Exactly. Star Trek First Contact is the epitome. Agreed. Yeah, and I would even say that Generations has like is in the running for like being better than these these movies. Um, mostly, but I, I I I feel like a good chunk of Generations for me is mostly nostalgia, and it's like it's t- being tied to TNG. Um, so I really listen. Enjoy Generations is better than Nemesis. I'll give you that. Generations is better than Nemesis, and I think Generations gets a little bit like people are a little hard on Generations, and through a rewatch. That movie holds up a little bit better, yeah. Um, than than it does because it's not trying to be an action movie, right? Um, but I, man, I just can't get on board for Nemesis. I just even okay. This is what I will give you. I rewatched that. I rewatched all of them. Actually, what happened was I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Is I started to rewatch 
the Star Trek movies, yeah. like these ones. And Generations was fine, but my box set when I got to First Contact was in this like ridiculously small aspect ratio because oh. the the DVDs were so old oh, that it couldn't adjust to my television. So I went out that day in the middle of the pandemic and bought a new box set of all like 15 movies or whatever, oh. 11 oh. or how many there are, all of them, because that's the only box set I could find. Yeah. Had all the original series, all the next generation, and the J.J. Abrams ones. And I already had everyone else. But I was just like, well, I'm not going to watch a substandard version of my Star Trek movie. So I'm just going to buy the whole box set. Yeah. So talk about not being able to live with something. <laughs> that, that's basically what I did. So that's my little story. I had to go buy those movies. I knew, I thought you would appreciate that. I do much. really appreciate that. Because I do feel that need at some point where it's just like, no, I'm not going to watch. No. Bad, badly rendered Star Trek when the good stuff is just right outside my door. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go buy a completely new Star Trek box set. <laughs> okay, so so it's like let let me like uh, stand for for Nemesis for for a second here, um, with the recognition that when I was looking back at our old lists that we made way back when I first showed up on the show to real like to see kind of like where we had placed the movies. Like I had placed Nemesis Generations and Insurrection in that order, pretty much nine, ten, eleven. Like they're right close to each other in my eyes, um, just below the motion picture, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but for me, Nemesis is actually a is like thematically, it's a good version of what you're talking about about how to deal with the idea of like age and youth in the way that we have two characters in, in Picard and Data who are presented with versions of themselves that are effectively representative of their younger selves of like the ways that mm -hmm. they were flawed at the beginning of their journeys um, with data's um, like kind of quote unquote brother before being this very simplified person that cannot understand anything human at all. Um, and we, from that juxtaposition, we can see how much he's grown. Similarly, Picard is able to juxtapose himself against Tom Hardy's very weirdly acted villain in this uh, movie and kind of like, as <laughs> like figure out, what his journey has been for himself, what he could have been, what could have changed for him. I think that that juxtaposition uh, between them and like in the younger version of them is more palpable than kind of, oh yeah, they're, they feel younger in, in TNG. So we get to watch Patrick Stewart uh, dance the Mamba for a second or uh, Riker shave his face. It's a great scene. That's <laughs> a great moment because that's Patrick. Hold on. That's, that's Jean-Luc Picard realizing like Picard is so strong of a character, so strong-willed that dancing the mambo for two seconds makes him look in the mirror <laughs> and go, "What's go, going on?" Something's <laughs> exactly, and that's a brilliant moment. I know it's like a bit of a laugh, and like I remember seeing this in theaters and people laughing. The point is that Jean Luc Picard looked at himself and went, "That's not me. Something's <laughs> weird," and he figured it out instantaneously. The next scene, he's confronting them about it. How old are you? Like, is what he, he asks the, the lady from the planet. Like, he knew. He knew something was impacting him. He knew from that <laughs> moment. That's a great scene. I will hear. That is so much better than than Regent Shinzon and his, his marauders invading the mind of Deanna Troy. Like it's, it's just, yeah. Okay. The mind control stuff is terrible, weird. but like similarly, That's both really movies, weird. both movies have their like weird stuff in it. So like, you know, Nemesis has, it's like, yeah, it's Deanna Troy, like mind stuff, which happens in the show all the time. And it's just very, very strange. And then it's like insurrection has, it's kind of like, 
half-baked romance between Picard and this woman, which also shows up in the show all the time, where they have these moments of like, oh, yeah. we can like stop time with our minds. And I'm like, that seems useful. It's strange. It's uh, strange that we don't use <laughs> well, that for other reasons. Yeah, um, well, yeah that's true. <laughs> it's like, uh, like all, like you know, both movies have their like clunky bits, and it's the reason why they're near the bottom, as like of the barrel. Um, what I would say is that is like in terms that both movies are strangely dealing with the idea of age, and I feel like Nemesis's like conceit is actually like a better way to do that. And both have a lot of action sequences in it. And what I really like about Nemesis action sequences is that the vast majority of the end of it takes place ship to ship. So we don't actually have to watch Patrick Stewart in a was like a white tank top climbing climbing up a rope as he's got a gun strapped to his back. Instead, we watch is like the two ships go at each other in this very like I don't think people really appreciate just how like kind of dynamic and interest, interestingly paced that final like battle scene is between the, is, like the Enterprise and the uh, Scimitar. As well as like the Romulans coming. No, in. because a... they keep cutting. They keep cutting to to Riker for some reason, running around with his weapon, shooting the 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 pretar guy. Yeah, the, it was like first officer versus first off for no reason. Like, what was that happening? Well, like, like that the... was so weird. Well, so that section is happening because of the weird Dan to Troy stuff that with the mind stuff that happened already. But in that section, in the section that is very awkward and weird, there is a wonderful character moment that is like just kind of like only Star Trek fans would notice it when Worf and Riker are searching for the Praetor before they have to fight. And Worf just says, the mm-hmm. Romulans fought with honor. And Riker just kind of smiles to himself and says, yes, they did, Mr. Worf. It's like a beautiful moment of character recognition yeah. for Worf, who has actually gone through a complete shift in his like his prejudices towards these people. And you can see in real time the kind of Romulan Federation biases starting to break apart because of this incident. Um, and I think that's a big thing that I really like about this movie. I have a really hard time with franchises where every film is kind of like the the perception of change without anything really changing. Um, how right, you can kind yeah. of like it's like and it's like the, the it's also probably the reason why the undiscovered country is my favorite Star Trek movie, because these are actual finales. Things change. Big things happen. Um, and when you come out the other end, it's you weren't the same as you were before, as opposed to like, mm-hmm. I find both First Contact and Insurrection both have to find really interesting reasons for why Worf is on the bridge, because he's not part of the ship anymore. <laughs> so you have to kind of like... And they do a great job. And the, it's like, they do I, a great job. I think job. Insurrection doesn't do a good job, but First Contact does, because you actually... Yeah, he, he says... Yes, that that I, the first contact, brilliant, perfect, is the yeah. best way to do it. The Defiant was built to fight the Borg, so it makes yeah. total sense. Yeah, it makes there. total sense. Yeah. Um, no, right away he says, "Worf, what the hell are you doing here?" That's what yeah. he says to him. Yeah, and then we it's, don't really hear the answer. It's, exactly. <laughs> it's a great throwaway <laughs> line that they're using to try yeah, and explain exactly. this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, and, and you the, just <laughs> no, you're happy to see him. That's of what course. it is, Tyler. You're, you're happy, happy to, to see, see Worf. You go, ah, oh, Worf, you're here. It's fine. of course you're happy to see him. But what I'm saying There's is that, no like, why is he? Why is he on the bridge of the Enterprise? What is he doing there? Is he going to the wedding? Like, what? Is yeah, this? that's it's like he's on. He's in Nemesis because they were like going from wedding to wedding. So of course, he's like he's traveling yeah. with his shipmates. Wedding from wedding, yeah. Yeah, the human wedding to the Bajoran His wedding. shipmates? They haven't been his shipmates for years. He's supposed to be on the Klingon homeworld. He Isn't probably is going to go now? there later. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> well, better. but this is what I'm saying, right? Both movies kind of have their same kind of like clunkiness and problems. But Nemesis is actually yes, a movie that decides to change things. Things actively change for the universe. Not just, the, like, not just for like the Briar Patch. 
but for the the interaction between the Federation and Romulans, not just their mentality and thinking themselves youth, youthful, but actually like death and people having to process the fact that they are going to lose people and that they're moving on. These are weightier themes that are handled is like in a like less goofy, more interesting way than something like Insurrections, which is effectively a movie that you could remove from the four movies and you would notice nothing. You would notice absolutely nothing if you removed it from the four. Um, you could remove any of these four movies. You, you could not remove and Nemesis. Nemesis. Well, because the, of the end, because Nemesis, it has like an exactly. ending to it. But. And same with Generations. Nemesis and Generations are the two that actually have stakes for the world and the characters. While the other two could be removed. First Contact, as much as I love that movie, effectively is a like a, a like internal character thing that we actually kind of already resolved in TNG. In like um, and we have no, to kind of, un, of we have to undo some of Patrick Stewart's progress that he made in i hugh in order to get more drama out of it granted great movie they do everything else well but you could remove those two effectively and just show generations and nemesis and you'd get the full arc of these characters and then yeah, you like, wouldn't like star trek but you could get the full arc of the character you wouldn't like you it would like you'd be star like trek. you'd be like how did you you would look at it and be like how did everybody age like so fast if you just watch generations to oh, nemesis, you'd say that there's it years. is a it is a dramatic yep, years yeah it's been a year gap lots of years dramatic Many years. dramatic <laughs> a decade I, I just i just had a pro i had a problem with the senior citizens running around on the enterprise and going on this mission in nemesis and they just didn't it just didn't like everyone it just seemed so old and tired which is something they brought up in in like it was an insult lobbied at the Federation by the Sona in insurrection, mm-hmm. being like the Federation is like you. They're old. They're tired. See, I like they that. that. I, I did really, I did new. really like that part of insurrections for sure. That that concept yeah. that they're having and the thing that they're grasping for, for sure. is kind of like trying to find for eternal youth. I did enjoy that part. Exactly. But I yes. think the yeah. I think Riker's... What, what we, but seriously, what? Ah, I don't know. I think I think like Rikers running around on the Enterprise for some reason has like expanded in your head to be like the entirety of that action sequence because really that takes yeah that's all I remember. It's it's a very small (laughs) amount of a much larger like um kind of like multi stage battle where you have them fighting and trying to find new strategies for taking on this much bigger foe. The Romulans yeah listen it's been a while for Nemesis. It has been a while. I have rewatched Nemesis somewhat recently but i do think it's been a couple of years like less recent than some of the other ones so i will definitely give it another shot and i get what you're saying like i'm not i'm not uh, saying these themes don't exist i do think the themes exist i do think that was the point of them creating the movie i just felt for only getting four star trek movies with this group Mm -hmm. um and you know a lot of the, I don't I don't know what the heck happened to these people. Everyone just aged so fast. You hit a certain age, and I think like aging just catches up with you. But this group, oh my lord, like age just like hit them. Yeah, except for so Gates McFadden. Just, Gates, Gates McFadden looks the same at the end end of Nemesis. But we don't. <laughs> yes, but we don't get any Beverly Crusher. Like we should have had way more of her. Her and Jordy too, actually. She's um, actually like <laughs> so someone who doesn't age much. Yeah, well, I'll say that she's barely an insurrection, but she is in Nemesis. She has like a scene where her and Picard talk about like what it was like to be greedy with this like young clone of him like himself and she's actually sadly mm-hmm. she's removed it's like there is a deleted scene near the it's like near the end of um it's like of that it's like of uh it's like of a nemesis where she basically is like messaging picard or talking to him is like to showcase that she has now moved on to another ship 
And so that is like, once again, the beginning of the fading. And it is in direct conversation to what we were talking about with, um, it's like, uh, it's like all good things of kind of like, we are watching that splinter point of the point where they are now finally all going their different directions. Um, and it's like, and whatever comes next. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hate when the deleted scenes are things that you're like, just like, oh, I really wish there. that was in the movie. It that should have been, been in there. That would have enhanced it. There's many deleted scenes in Insurrection. And I remember watching some from Nemesis thinking, why wasn't that in there? Because that would have enhanced my experience. Like that would have made the movie better for me. Yep. Um, so I, I get that. Um, I want to very quickly get to my last one here. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. We could just, we could debate this forever. We, we could, we can uh, and probably will in the future. <laughs> and probably will debate. Yes, this will come up many times. I want to get to my my number thir- three. This is the one that made it on my list. Um, I, I took something else off. It was back and forth. Uh, number three, unpopular Star Trek opinion. Chakotay is the best first officer in all the series and and in all the films. I just fell off my chair. <laughs> so Ch- Chakotay from Voyager is the best first officer. Listen, he epitomizes what a first officer should be. Okay. In, in that entire series of Voyager, he debates with the captain in private, never in public. He listens, he he learns about the crew, he speaks on behalf of the crew, he he debates with the captain, but when a decision is made, he sticks by it 110%. He's never after the captain's job. It's not like a Riker situation where Riker wants to be promoted eventually, at least at the beginning, mm-hmm. wants to be promoted. Throughout the entire series, Chakotay is never a folly for, for um, Janeway. He's perceived as a folly, but he never actually is. It's not like Major Kira on Deep Space Nine, where she is a folly. She is a, a, a counterpoint, and there's a lot of friction between her and Cisco, and that's where a lot of the drama comes from. Chakotay is a strong individual, just like his personality. He is a strong individual who's always there, who you can count on, who's a comfort to have on the bridge. I think he is without a doubt the first officer. He's the first officer you want because he will disagree with you, but never in front of the crew. He will stand up. Once you make a decision, he goes for it 110%. His job now is to support the captain. The decision's been made. I've given my advice. We're going with something else. I'm not going to object now, and I'm going to support the captain from this point forward. I think Chakotay is the best first officer in Star Trek. Okay, that's very interesting, because I think I might be able to bring myself to agree with you in the way that like, he is like... He is a, a, a one of the, in my head, like kind of the best first authors, which is funny because he's like the only one that hasn't really been trained for that role. Exactly. Like, all yes, the other yes. ones have like been actively like pushing for that, except for Kira, maybe say, but it's like, um, but he is like, but she's been trained in, in a, with another group. Like exactly. she has training for leadership. Yeah. Like as opposed to like, these should be the two that are the most at odds with each other. They are literally two captains yeah. of opposing ships that up until this event were actually at each other's throats. Um, but it's only because of his kind of personality and his way of dealing with things that he recognizes the importance of his role and how he is going to be like effectively if he like goes at Janeway and they don't get along like that's Voyager would have died it's it bad. would have passed away yeah. because yes. they would have been and, and he realizes that. together yeah exactly he's so smart he's so intelligent of of a leader that he looks at his own philosophies and says in the situation we're in my philosophies don't work 
We're going to go with your philosophies. I will be your first officer. I will support you. I will put my ego aside for the betterment of the crew. (laughs) And it's the same thing. He puts his ego aside and his opinions aside because the captain makes the decision. And the best thing to do for a crew is follow through. Don't be indecisive. Follow through with your decision to try to keep people alive. And that's his personality is to me what adds to it. It's his personality that makes him the best candidate. In a job interview, everything he says and does would make him more hireable than anybody else because of who he is, which I think adds to that. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting thing because I was trying to think of other metrics you could use to like to grade like to kind of figure this out. And like people could say that, you know, Spock would be the obvious one that people would go for. But I think most sure. of what Spock does that saves the ship is mostly as like a science officer and like science engineering as, yeah, like, as like his um, science officer for sure. Yeah, his like actual like command style, like the times that he's in charge and stuff like that are generally either don't go well or in, or in direct no. contrast <laughs> to what the captain would want. <laughs> um, I'm thinking of like yeah. the Galileo 7 as like episode. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Cause it, you can look back and when, when Spock solves the problem or is, or is instrumental, it's on the science side. Yeah. Like you he know, saves the he, enterprise he so many make, times, but as a science, as a science officer. officer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. similarly, I could see DePaul being something similar from enterprise. Now DePaul might be the best like kind of strategy because I honestly think that without her, her captain would have just run that ship into a sun very early on. Oh, that, that crew would have done so many terrible <laughs> they, things they, without T'Pol. Like, yeah. So I, T'Pol is the one that I would be most worried about. Like if I was in a debate, I'm not worried about anybody else, even though Riker's the obvious choice. I'm more worried about T'Pol because you're right. She <laughs> was definitely very beneficial to that crew. <laughs> like, like, I think if that if she hadn't been there, they would have like I don't know how many genocides they would have committed, how what they would have more done, more but... than the few that they did. <laughs> right? like, even with her, there were some genocides, right? Like, there's some incidences. Oh, and, and the, without the her, that, oh, oh yeah, and the actress that plays Paul has such a good like, it's like like the face the face of someone who's like. I know you're not going to listen to what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> it's like it's like a teacher with with kindergarten students yeah. where you're just like I know this isn't going to go well, but I'm going to try my hardest here and there's like but you can tell like she's just she, once she gets to know that crew, it's some of the best humor. Oh yeah. Is her just knowing what they're going to do even though it's against what she would do. And her um, so yes, I can see that. Oh yeah, like her attempts to try and like give them like emotional support when they're like it's like she's sitting there with someone <laughs> and she like notices she's sitting there like how are things going? Like clearly she's like okay. Yes, yeah. I need to try. <laughs> well, and I guess I guess that's to me where that's where I think Chicote beats beats to yeah. Paul in, in in the thing of like relating to the crew. You, yeah. As a first officer, you must speak on behalf of your crew. So Chicote is someone who will listen, have a cup of coffee with you, hear you out. And then bring the concerns to Janeway and is strong enough to be able to combat with her in private. Whereas I think T'Pol lacks that interpersonal, even later in the series, where I don't think she gets close to the crew. Mm-hmm. I think she wants that professional detachment. Whereas Chakotay, it's just like a, an assistant coach on a sports team. They're the buddy. Yep. They get buddy-buddy with everybody. And it's the captain who is the professional detachment, right? It's the co- head coach. But you want your assistant to be able to come up to you, to, to talk to you to hear you out and to be kind of your voice to the captain. So I think Chakotay, again, checkbox, Chakotay does that too. Whereas I think yeah. Paul does not get that side of it. 
Okay, I think I agree with you. I like I think the uh, what we've talked about so far does sound right. I think people would be unhappy we didn't mention Riker in any way, shape, or form. But the truth yes, of the they will. Is, That's the one, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the truth of the matter is that like Riker showcased a different form of uh, first officer in the way that he was willing to push back on what the captain was doing, was willing to like kind of put the uh, like you know the safety of the captain above even like direct orders in a way that is like considered now to be like an important step in being a first officer. Um, but like, if we're talking about unpopular opinions here, my unpopular opinion is another one of this. I don't really like Riker that much. I find that he tends to be what? very, <laughs> he tends to be very emotional and responds like with, I'd say oftentimes with like, like obvious disdain and irritation and grumpiness in a way that just like does not become the the role of first officer Shikote. Like you can well, barely tell yeah. when he's angry when he's screaming at you. Much less like Riker will yeah, just sit there no. and immediately like I'm like I know that everyone's playing the scene like they can't tell that Riker is really angry, but literally the yeah. pe- there are people back on Earth that know that Riker's angry no, right now. <laughs> it's true, Chicote, Chicote, and that was that to me is actually what makes Chicote so intimidating too. Yeah. Is you never know, like he never really loses his cool, mm-hmm. and the yeah. moments that he raises his voice, everyone like shuts up. Yeah, because it's rare. Um, I think for me, what happened with Riker was after Best of Both Worlds, he didn't have anything to do anymore. Like his yeah. arc's over. His arc was over. Yeah, you told me. And, I remember you brought that up when we were going through that, and I yeah. never really looked at him the same way again after that. Because you're very right. His yes. his arc kind of finished at that. It's like that time. That that's a, that Best of Both Worlds is about Riker. Yep. It's about him. Like the title is about him, and and that to me really like finished him. Like it, again, a more a more bolder show probably would have had Riker been killed mm-hmm. to get Captain Picard back. Like a, yeah. like a show later, but they were obviously not going to do that. And I'm glad they didn't. But like, mm-hmm. still, yeah. I feel like Riker really, from that point forward, never really regained the momentum of the first four seasons. Mm-hmm. Where he, he did have a very well-defined, strong character that, like him or not like him, those are all, the things you're naming are character traits. Oh, yeah, that make definitely. him flawed in a way, that make him interesting. But I feel like he became... He became the person who like repeats the computer or like says things in a way so the audience can get it. Yeah. He, he, if you watch seasons five through seven, he's a lot of like, so you mean this? <laughs> or so this happened and then this is happening? Yes, Riker. <laughs> right? like, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's become Ellen Page or Elliot Page in, um, it's like in uh, Inception. Just like, okay, whose dream are we going Inception, into yes. now? <laughs> yes, yeah. So the audience, ha- exactly, exactly, exactly. Same character. So the yeah. audience has someone to grab onto where you're like, oh, that's, so people who aren't, as fast and don't get there as quick are like, Oh, that's what's going on. That's what Riker became a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I can that's definitely a good see that. Um, um, before we go, do you have the list of other things you thought I might have bad opinions on? <clears throat> yeah. Um, okay. Again, I'm just uh, try not to judge. Um, try not to judge my thoughts of you. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, n- number, number one, um, was going to be that you don't like the Enterprise uh, D model. That is going to be my first. <laughs> that, one. that used to be very true, actually. I, that actually. Oh, used, really? Okay. It used to be true. It's it's no longer true. I actually now think that it works really well as like kind of okay. like the, what it was was kind of like it was a symbol, it was a flagship, but it was also kind of like a pleasure cruiser. It was like a family thing. So it yeah. had to be. Larger, I was going to. Fi- I was ready to fight you on that. I made yeah. notes. 
<laughs> to, yeah. to battle you on. Yeah, that like as like I am definitely like aesthetic wise, I'm an Enterprise E kind of person. I love the sleek design. I love yes. the like the cool setup yes. of that ship. You you seem like an Enterprise I am, e person. But the Enterprise D sure. I do think is like is iconic and I wouldn't I wouldn't attempt to to be smirch it on this podcast or any other medium. Um I I wrote this one down but I I actually I'm not this next one, I'm actually thinking you might have brought something up more positive about this, but it's mm-hmm. just something, again, that what I know about you, that you don't like the EMH, the doctor, and you think he's too smug. Oh, no, I love him. He's he's my favorite character. In okay, Voyager. that's what I thought. I thought. I thought maybe you did like him because then I was like, I know you don't like Neelix, so I wasn't going to put I that on like there, Neelix, but I no. thought, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was like, do you like the EMH? I couldn't remember. I um, love him, yeah. Okay, um, so uh, that you think uh, that... Uh, Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine is a stronger leader than Captain Janeway. Now, this is me not knowing you didn't see, you haven't like that Deep Space Nine's not 100% mm-hmm. on your radar. Um, I just, that's a common opinion I've heard other people say that people think Kira is a stronger character than Janeway. Like these are, these are two predominant female leads that are in leadership positions. So they get compared a lot. Yeah, like which is unfortunate because like I think they're very are... different. Like I feel like Jane. Oh, hundred percent. More... I think I think it's not a fair. Like Jane, Jane is very emotionally available for her crew and her is like her peers in ways that Kira just is not. Like um, she's because she's more of like you know she first of all she was raised in like an oppressed environment, like under like a intense regime, and then she's also more military as opposed to Janeway, which is more kind of. I feel like she got into Starfleet to be more of the kind of like explorer. It's like um. And uh, so she has a lot more, like, better interpersonal things. I would say that Janeway is a better commander because that's the kind of people I like to follow, are the people who lead by example, as like as well as have like an open heart and a lot of empathy. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't have thought. I that think, that. yeah, and and I agree. It's just again, it's one of the popular things you hear out there. So I'm like, I wonder if he has this opinion. I also <laughs> I wonder if he's really one of those stupid. people. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder. Well, I just, I think, I honestly, I think you and I are on the same page. Though I think it's kind of dumb that, like, what? Just because they're two females, they're two women. It's like, yeah, we're like, yeah. Janeway is a captain. Janeway gets compared to the captains. Like, yeah, exactly. It's she gets compared to Benjamin too, and Sisko that matters, and so. Picard and yeah. Kirk. Yeah. Um, my next one is that you, uh, you adore Wesley Crusher. Oh, no, <laughs> no, not at no. all. Um, oh, I have a huge problem with Wesley. No, Crusher. I don't. It's not that I hate him. It was a bunny stretch of the imagination. I no, feel I like he has a, he has a thankless role for a lot of it. Was the de- which yeah. was the desperate attempt to try and get children interested in Star Trek, and then he has an mm-hmm. even less, an even more thankless role later on of being the kind of smarmy know it all. Um, yeah. And uh, I so I, I feel bad for Will Wheaton in a lot of ways. It's like, um, but I, I have no problem with Wesley Crusher. But there is no way that I would say that I, I adore him. And in fact, the um, "Shut Up, Wesley" does remain one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek. Um, okay, my next one is uh, that Janeway outright murdered Tuvix and should have been thrown in jail the second she hit Earth. Hmm. Do you remember the Tuvix episode? I don't know if you knew. Uh, uh, can you that. refresh my memory? It's been a while. Tuvix was a combo that a transporting accident happened, and uh, Tuvok and Neelix became one unique individual because right. the patterns got schmushed together, and then uh, they had no idea at all how to separate them. And later at the end of the episode, they figure out a way to do it. But Tuvix has now like been on the ship for months. Mm. Um, and Janeway feels that for their mission and to get home, because this is a little bit later, um, a couple seasons in, 
where they feel they need Neelix and Tuvok as they are separately in their separate roles in order to more benefit the ship. So she basically orders Tuvix against his will, because he wants to live, to go on the transporter pad, essentially killing him and bringing back Tuvok and Neelix. Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of a moral quandary episode, um, but... It is a moral quandary episode, and it's interesting that Janeway would make that choice, considering she's the one that decided to destroy the like the, their way home at the beginning, like for moral reasons. Mm-hmm. And that That's would, what a lot of people bring up. And yeah, it's a bit all yeah, over the place, I, but I think I could be seen as one of those people. I would have to think on it more, but I, I think I would fall mm-hmm. under that that bridge of saying that that doesn't make sense for her character. I don't know if it necessarily if I believe that she should have been locked up or anything like that, but it doesn't necessarily make sense for what I know of her character. Uh, the last one actually um, goes in line with the one I didn't uh, include uh, that was my fourth option. Was I thought your opinion was going to be that Seven of Nine was not a deep and complex character and, he w- and she was only on the show for other obvious reasons. Um, and I was actually going to bring up that I think Seven of Nine is a deeply complex character and all her costumes make perfect sense. That was think... going to be my unpopular opinion. Um, but yeah, I, I, took I think that that seven of nine, like, I, I don't know how she can't be a complicated character of like a person who has been like uh, taken out of the board collecting and is trying to like regain a sense of, for lack of a better term, humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think she's still the most interesting character in Picard. Like, I think, I don't know what we're, it's like, uh, I, I don't understand people who would say that, That it's like, um, I do understand yeah, that, you know, like, I agree. There's a reason. I think she's complex, but yeah, yeah, yes, I and I and I'm not I'm not saying that the two things can't be true. Yeah, I think there there is. I'm a not truth. saying that two things can't like. There's truth there, but yeah. I just think that uh, people want to, for whatever reason, uh, point that out, and it's like, well, yeah, like I don't know if anyone understands like marketing or like putting together things, but like you you have to have appeal on your shows, mm-hmm. and you have to do something, and Seven of Nine saved Voyager from going off the air early. Yeah, frankly. Oh, so at, if that's the risk you have, like if you have to compromise yourself a little bit, but then you, you're like, okay, if we're doing this, we're doing this in the best way possible. Some of the best storylines are about her journey back to humanity. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think, I think she's the only redeeming element of Star Trek Picard mm-hmm. is her still her journey and yeah. her trying to be part of that like seeing where she's gotten to like how human she is now but how she's still haunted by the past aspects of it it's like um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't understand that with people like you know there's lots of characters unfortunately a lot especially a lot of female characters in star trek things that are on the unfortunate end of a lot of like kind of writer chauvinism um Mm -hmm. but i think that most of the time the combination of the writers and the acts like and the actresses are able to bring about like compelling reasons for them to be here a hundred percent. And, like, and, I and that's a credit I, to them. Yeah. Right? It's a, credit, like, it's a to credit to the performers yeah. and it's a credit to the people who took it seriously. And I agree. I think it's awful that you, you have examples of this where it's chauvinistic and it's awful. And it's, I'm hoping that we're moving past that, but the fact that they're able to work with that, what they're given and make it work, like to quote, you know, the, you know, many, many, I'm just saying it's been many, many times. It's not, it's not why you were brought in the room that matters. It's what you're going to do once you're there. Yeah. And the fact that you're brought to the table for a particular reason that might not be great, but what you do with it, like knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Seven of nine becomes a memorable character more so than anything else. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. 
So there you go. Those were the things that I thought you might uh, might include. Yeah, some of them were close. The, the Enterprise D one, if you if you'd caught me like circa 2013, like I might I might have been able to be uh, to be compelled into. You an seemed like that. an Enterprise D person, an uh, E person. Yeah, I mean. like you just seemed like you're an Enterprise E person. What so. can I say? I love the streamlined aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> I was. This all came out of because I thought I knew two of yours, and I was trying to guess what the third was. Right. So I was trying to kind of figure out um, what that would be in there. So there you go. Um, extra long episode, as always with Star Trek. I don't think we've ever done a, a sixty minutes. Star we've Trek never episode. been on time. <laughs> It's not possible. We, I, I think, half this episode was us debating insurrection versus <laughs> versus at, nemesis. At least. I was like, I was like in my head, that went on for like three hours, and I don't feel like either of us got closer to being able to really no, say what no. we wanted. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I feel like we have to dedicate an episode to that one day. So maybe, maybe that's I mean, something. I think we'll we both need to. I think we need to rewatch want. both movies back to back. And then we yes, just come at it and like, and with like, come with our notes. Yeah. We come, we say come up with arms wide open and decide what's going on here. And I think we need a moderator. I think we need a moderator. We can get Taylor to, to come in. And yeah. Taylor to come, because, because even in that discussion, now that I'm thinking of it, we also talked about four or five other episodes in there and like yep. went on a rant for like five minutes about another episode of Star Trek. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we definitely need a moderator. We will, I think we'll do that if, if, if fans, you know, I'm always about the fans. If the fans want it, we'll do it for them. Right. Um, so you tell us out there, if, if you're still listening, definitely <laughs> the three people who complained, I'm sure are listening, um, so. send us in emails. We, and, and, you know, that's a good way to convince Tyler to give up, uh, an hour and a half of his time oh, <laughs> is to, is to <laughs> give the fans writing in. Always ready um, to thank give you, up an hour Tyler. Time for this. <laughs> oh yes, for Star Trek, uh, it, it just goes by. Thank you for doing this, Tyler. Um, I appreciate it. I appreciate you helping out um, throughout the fall and winter um, to to give some uh, some lend your voice to support the fact that that we're we're down a host for a little bit. So thank you uh, again for doing this. Not a pleasure. I will lend my voice where it's wanted, aka Star Trek. I will lend it where it isn't, aka everything else. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Sounds good. Uh, thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in. Um, we'll have an all-new episode once again next week. Uh, chances are you're listening to this over December and into the holidays. So if it comes close, hopefully everyone's having a good holidays. Um, relax, watch some movies, and enjoy. And as Taylor says, go see some movies. Thank you for listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast, recorded at CFRC at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Queen's University sits on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and Anishabi peoples. We would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.